Welcome to Decoding Careers, a podcast to help software engineers transition into a leadership role. Okay, so welcome back everyone to Decoding Careers. I actually had a great chat with Brandon before we even started recording the show and um, missed a few good points there, uh, but hopefully we can we can reignite a few more um, as, as, we, as we get on with the show. Now, having some really good feedback, um, just to, to give everyone a bit of an update um, in terms of engineers reaching out to us after the show, um, reaching out to the leaders that have already been on the show as well to give feedback in terms of where they're at in their career and how they can make that transition. Um, so it's, a, it's it's been it's been quite overwhelming um, in terms of the feedback that we're, we're getting in the community, which is which is great. Um, and today, we've got another great guest um, that's joining us. So today, I'm, I'm our guest today is is Brandon. So he's a technology professional with new, nearly two decades of experience in software engineering, project management, financial services, and ed tech. Now. His career is a unique blend of deep technical expertise, leadership, and also problem solving. So he's currently serving as the engineering manager at MathSpace, um, and he's keenly focused on mentoring his team and fostering a really good environment. Now, he's a big believer in the power of continuous learning and encouraging his team to grow their skills and knowledge. Now, with a unique perspective on leadership, and a passion for problem solving, Brandon brings a wealth of insights to our conversation today. So really looking forward to, to this one. Now, a few of you might be asking, you know, what is MathSpace? So MathSpace is an adapted maths learning platform for students from grade three to 12. So it was launched in 2010 with a clear goal to help students excel in maths. So what sets them apart is the unique capability to adapt to student responses at three levels. After every step, after every question, and after every question set. Hopefully I said that right. (laughs) So this level of adaption offers a highly personalised learning experience. And moreover, it enables them to show teachers exactly where students, students' knowledge gaps lie. Now, Quite an exciting um, recent development at MathSpace recently is, is they've, they've actually integrate, integrated with um, GPT-4. So they've built an AI tutor chatbot named, chatbot named Milo, which actually allows students to ask any questions whilst working on maths problems. And Brandon was just saying there, the, the kids do seem to say thank you a lot more, um, which is which is quite interesting. So... Really thrilled to have him on our show today. Um, already feel like there's quite a bit of synergy before we've even started recording. So um, thank you very much, Brandon, for, for finding the time and taking the time out of your busy, busy life. I know with the young family and sort of the role that you're in now, appreciate you coming on. But yeah, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, pleasure to be here. Brilliant. So um, I think to start with, Brandon, this, this is how we normally like to start the show. Um, maybe take the listeners and myself back to when you wrote your first line of code. So the first line of code I wrote was was very long ago. I actually have to think back because I think it might have been when I was in like year two or year three. 
And the reason being was I recall a summer holiday where the school was running a like various activity camps, and one of the camps was the new computer lab. But this was back in the really early 90s. And so I, as far as I recall, we were sitting at these old DOS computers working on GW Basic, trying to draw shapes and words on the screen. Uh, and it was very much an introduction to what computers could do, but not really an appreciation for why they do it or what was happening. I may have just been a bit too young for it. But I think it did at least spark a bit of an interest in terms of like a computer is a device that can allow you to do things without it just being a tool that does things for you. Like I did eventually pick up things like batch programming and trying to like script through things. I recall going through like Harvey Norman bins uh, a few years later to try to get a Linux distribution and that allowed me to do a bit more batch scripting. But really most of it came down to like, I could appreciate computers could do things and I could appreciate setting it all up. But it really only came down towards the end of high school and university when I really started like properly coding and actually feeling more productive with it. Yeah, okay, interesting. And when you was starting to code and really understand it a bit more do you remember what you was sort of what you was working on or what you was building so some of the very first things were for my father for his finance company we were doing a lot of financial modeling at the time and this was just on the um, beginning of the noughties like 2000 2001 and so it was the conversion from paper office to digital office so whilst i spent quite a bit of time like typing up documentation there was also trying to create mail mergers and very much trying to automate all the spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheets that were needed. Uh, learned a couple of uh, languages like Visual Basic for application and trying to actually set up all the spreadsheets. And a lot of it was just the reward of actually creating a process and actually delivering results quickly without having to have a team of people manually do it. So I think it wasn't necessarily the code itself, but the sort of the joy of actually seeing that you can use these various systems together and actually get a wonderful result much quicker. Mm. And a lot of leaders that come on this show, they 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 say that the the instant impact, as well, and, and the the gratification that you get from from the cold, um, from from building something. Now, in terms of your first role commercially, um, maybe take us back to sort of who that was with, how how you got the role, and and what what you was doing there, really. So I tend to divide that up into two stages. So throughout uni, I worked at my father's wealth management company, and most of that was to actually help pay for uni and pay for the activities there. Uh, And whilst that was not necessarily a commercial role, I mean, I was being paid, but it wasn't software development. It was just trying to help around, but I did do software development activities. And as I learned more skills from university, tried to apply them as I could. So, for example, started off mostly on spreadsheets. And then as I learned database systems and database indexing, found a way to actually actually incorporate a database with, with the various data that we had. But once I graduated and then wanted to actually apply the learnings I got from university, that's when I chose to actually go into the workforce, apply for a job and actually get a job that focused on software development within a software engineering team. And that way I could learn best practices and anything that wasn't actually applicable within uni at the time. Um, I think back then I uh, actually went on like Seek and tried to just find any job ads and just apply and then went with what the recruiters recommended um, and eventually landed up in a role at a company called Arclight, which was doing wealth man- not wealth man- uh, real estate management uh, CRM software. Um, and that was Java-based uh, with some GWT trying to get the web out of the way, 
So, but mostly focusing for myself was just trying to learn the process of working within a team and developing software within that team environment because before that it was all individual based. Yeah. Okay. And what advice would you give to an engineer that's maybe just come out of university and about to start the first commercial role as a, as an engineer? What what advice would you give to any listeners um, that are about to sort of begin that that journey? I think I'm going to answer based on what I would have done slightly differently. I think when I first left uni, I had a lot of confidence based on a good depth of knowledge from just various subjects, but I was then not in a good position to actually ask for help for areas that I wasn't skilled in. And I think for people leaving, they need to understand that they're about to join and learn a whole additional set of team collaboration skills. And Whilst the delivery of code and delivery of tasks is important, they should be very uh, keen on trying to understand the process that they can be productive from a team perspective, because you're able to very much level up when you're able to work with other people and gel off one another. Yeah, yeah. No, interesting. Okay. Well, some good pointers there for any any sort of engineers listening that are going to make that transition. Now, in terms of maybe... Talk to us a bit more because I think it's been quite an interesting role with yourself at, at Math Space because you've transitioned and then sort of stepped back as well, which is interesting, obviously, for for to spend more time with your kids, etc. But you don't normally see that. Um, so it's quite an interesting um, topic today in terms of, of, of your transition as well. Maybe talk us through your role at the moment in terms of, you know, where you started when you went into math space, where you went up to and and went back down and then maybe talk a bit about the the differences in, in the transition. Yeah. So I've never been shy at stepping down a position to try and improve my career uh, trajectory. I think a lot of people do tend to always look uh, upward to try to see what's the next role I can get and what's more responsibility I can do and what side movements may help that. But I find when moving from role to role, you're trying to get a lot more uh, enjoyment from the type of work you're doing, as well as a lot more confidence for the type of abilities that you can, sorry, let me reword that, try to get a lot more confidence for how you can use your skill set to deliver the best that you can do. So for me, sometimes that's the best is within the workplace, and sometimes the best is within my own personal family and social aspect. I think... Within the last few years, I definitely have been working on the employment and work side of things, trying to build up my skill set as a manager, trying to ensure I can grow a team. But then as I grew a family, I definitely wanted to ensure that that skill set and that way of thinking was actually also given some time to. The uh, pandemic offered the opportunity to do a lot more work from home, as well as a lot more opportunity to work with the family. So I traded off some responsibilities at work and some capability there to do more family time. But as my children have grown as they've entered daycare full time. I've now got the capacity to go and redo the skill in the area that I most prefer doing, which is working with people. Mm. I definitely enjoy delivering code. I definitely enjoy completing projects and ensuring that we can actually be as impactful as possible. But I think in terms of where I get the most amount of enjoyment, it's really working with the individuals on the team, working with the teams themselves and actually leveling everybody up. Yeah, okay. And two completely different roles and obviously... Um, two completely different jobs, if you, if you want to look at that. Would you, would you yes, agree? Yes, very much so. So 
I obviously started the career doing the uh, engineering development side, like coding. I had an aptitude for and very much enjoyed it. And definitely spent time trying to harness those skills, work my way through various projects and responsibilities, became team lead at some point, did some architectural design at some point. Uh, But it very much happened when I started actually getting really good managers mentoring me that I actually noticed that management can be a very harmonious and useful skill that could actually help people. And I really wanted to be able to do that. Yeah. And so getting the job at MathSpace was very much about can I take this team here and make them as productive as I know they can be? And that required me to not only just start managing, but actually learn that skill, do some heavy research on how you could do it properly. There's a lot of books and a lot of courses you can do, but very much the practical application of it, sometimes the stumbles, sometimes the successes, they all tend to teach you how to do this role. And then, of course, getting mentors of my own who could actually help me um, bounce ideas off on how to actually do it better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, management is very much like this new skill that I found, that I found a good aptitude for and something that energized me, something that I found that I could get up in the morning and go, I wonder how my team's going. I wonder if they're actually achieving. I wonder where I can help them. Yeah. Um, and then eventually teach them, can they help each other? Because the more autonomy and the more confidence I can instill in them, the better that they will perform. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And what was the biggest challenge for you from transitioning from coding to leading, and I'm probably when I say leading, I don't mean tech lead. I mean sort of people lead. So one of the, oh, I don't know if I, how. Let me say this. One of the interesting things I found when transitioning was, whilst I had a large technical uh, knowledge base that I wanted to apply and provide, I didn't want to like override the ability of the people I was mentoring's ability to actually deliver themselves. They need to be able to learn how to do things on their own. I can, you can definitely mentor and teach and guide. You can definitely give them instruction on how to do stuff, but they're never going to gain the confidence if you keep giving them the answers. And so there was a need to learn some additional patience uh, so that you can, actually underst- you can actually determine how each person worked, as well as determine how people were going to need to be worked with. The, some uh, individuals needed more instruction. Some needed the, you to be a bit more hands-off while they were able to deliver on their own. It was learning everybody's different people styles. Uh, in a lot of times when you're coding, there's a particular stylistic choice about how the code will work. There's a particular programming model that you would actually apply, but you can't really apply that to people. You very much have to learn to work with them and learn how to bring the best out of them. Yeah, yeah. No, interesting. Which is a massive, as, as, as we've mentioned before, going from coding and delivering to then having to take a step back and going, right, how can I get the best or the most out of this person? Um, you've got to be a certain type of individual um, to do that and to do it well um, because anyone can become a manager or a leader, but if you do it, if you don't do it well, you can potentially um, affect a few other people's careers in, in, in the room as well. Very much so. I found... Uh... When I first initially started, I had to be very honest with the people I was working with. Tell them, hey, I am new at this. There are going to be times where I'm going to try and give you advice and try and help you work through things. And it might not be the best. And if I can trust you to be as honest as possible when you feel that I'm not right, I'll try and be as honest as possible to try and push you in the direction that you want your career to go in. Yeah. What, in terms of, why do you think some people are scared to make the, the, the transition, some engineers. So 
in a technical uh, job where you actually spend a lot of time uh, trying to demonstrate ability, you eventually get a confidence in your own abilities and a confidence in being able to see yourself as the type of person who can do certain type of uh, skills. I think what tends to happen is the transition uh, upward into management from technical tends to be a bigger jump than most people anticipate because the skills are completely different. And there's a, a reluctance to let go of that safety net of the skills that you already have. Uh, so, for example, you may be relied upon and uh, entrusted by the team to deliver very complex architectural designs or software patterns that are needed to deliver good performance. But as soon as you move up into the managerial side of stuff, you're now dealing with the more people management side, the performance management, some of the project management. And this uh, isn't trusting your own abilities to get the project working. This is working with everybody else and trusting them to do the work that you believe they can do at the uh, quality of which you believe should be delivered. And sometimes that doesn't always happen. Life tends to occur with a lot of people. But overall, you would hope that you would get to the result that is needed or as needed for the product and the team. But letting go of that uh, confidence that you had that you could deliver the best work from a technical perspective whilst trying to like qualitatively deliver good results, it's different. So would you recommend... And again, it depends on the individual. I get it. Everyone's different. But would you recommend that a senior engineer goes into a tech lead role? Because that's a smaller transition. And then a tech lead into team lead and then team lead into engineering manager. I know it depends on the environment you're at. It depends on the title. I think... Because you're transitioning in slowly there and, mm. and you're shortening that gap. So I think there's a misnomer there because I think uh, everybody sees that you're continuously having to jump up and management is the end goal. And I don't think that's true because I think there's definitely good career paths where you land up as a principal engineer or an engineer that is um, like a distinguished enough to actually be given autonomy over an entire area of the code base. Uh, management should be seen as a completely different skill set and it should be seen as something that uh, you're going to have to work at to get better at. And if you're focusing all your t early years at working on the technical side and you focus uh, your career towards being the best technical person you can be, management might not even be something you'll ever enjoy. And there's no point doing work that you hate. Yeah. So I would think, yes, if you're finding that you definitely enjoy the technical side, you enjoy pairing and helping and instructing, then follow the technical career path potentially work with whoever's managing you or mentoring you now on how my career path is going and where I can go and maybe landing up at the area where management is, people management, project management just isn't for you. But definitely working with the product teams and other stakeholders is probably something that's far more rewarding. Uh, and there's also like the individual contributor uh, career path where you can work to be such a distinguished technical individual that you're able to be given tasks that are very complicated. They would take a team much longer to break down and do, but you're still able to do it yourself and deliver. I think this very much comes down to a lot of more self-reflection of what is it that makes me happy? What is it that makes me productive? And how can I be able to deliver that as much as possible without having to like feel that I'm missing out? There's a lot of fear of the unknown, fear of missing out. And whilst people do tend to be incentivized by money, and there's a lot of times where people jump to management because they want to get paid more, you definitely can still earn your uh, your worth by doing the things you enjoy. It just comes down to 
demonstrating it and getting an opportunity to actually show that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. And I think maybe for an engineer, even if you're junior, mid-level or senior, maybe you should be looking at which route you're going to go down early because then you know what your what your goals are and where you're targeting. I think what a lot of engineers, what can happen is you end up just being found in a, in a, in a place because you've worked so hard because sometimes some companies as well, depends on the company you're working for, they might promote you, promote you because you're doing really well. It's like a good salesperson. If you doesn't mean you're going to be a good sales manager, but they keep getting promoted because they're doing so well. And then they end up in this role that it's not actually where they want to be. It doesn't complement the strengths. Mm. Um, so would you recommend that engineers probably to take a step back, regardless of where they are in their career, and just know which route to take? Or does that take time to really, really realise who you are? I think makes? it definitely does take time. I think this is very much like you leave high school and you have to go and choose a degree and you're like, uh, I'll pick one of the ones that have a good name to it. I chose mechatronics. It had a good name to it. Uh, never landed up doing mechatronics, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think for junior and mid-engineers, you're definitely going to be focusing on technical skills. But I think don't sacrifice any of the soft skills, being able to communicate, being able to pair with individuals, being able to sit in a room and try and discuss a technical piece of information with uh, the stakeholders and product team that are non-technical. These are very essential skills. Time management is incredibly important because you'll be given tasks that compete with one another. Both are high priority. Both have to be delivered at the same time. Both cannot be done in the same amount of time for delivery. So being able to judge those uh, type of deliverables and deliveries uh, is a skill that is needed to be able to be an excellent engineer. And so I think as a junior and mid, if you're able to harness those soft skills while building up the technical, you'll be able to, over time, work out where you want to go. Because if it's very much one of those ones where you aren't comfortable with some of the communication, you aren't comfortable with arranging things, then leadership probably isn't going to be very rewarding for you. But that's perfectly fine. Being a team player and being somebody who can actually deliver and then focusing on the technical uh, should have its own path for you. You just need to strike out and make sure that it's available. And when I say that, yes, sometimes the positions that you're working in various companies uh, do have the opportunities, but a lot of times you do need to advocate for yourself and actually demonstrate that you have the capability of providing more and being more impactful. And yeah. So working with your teams, working with uh, any management that you have, uh, oftentimes you really need to push for something to happen as opposed to oh, wait for it to be handed to you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Now, talk the, the single most important piece of advice you can only pick one here. I know you have a. Few, I know you'll have mm. a few that you would give to an engineer that's about to step up into that leadership role. What would it be? Mm. I have to think about that one for a moment. Take time. It's a, a good question. I think if you're about to step up into that role, I think honesty is a very important skill because you're going to have to have days where you're going to feel the pressure to deliver on the requirements of that role. You're very much going to be told, we want to get the team performing. We want to ensure that everything is going to be delivered at this particular time at a high enough quality that will actually mean that the product works. And that additional pressure is quite heavy because what's happening is it's not you sitting down at a computer, banging out the code, trying to work weekends. It's you working with individuals and getting them uh, the 
space and time that they need to actually deliver based on the promises that you have potentially made. And so you need to be comfortable with being able to say, uh, we may not be able to make it, or we're going to have to adjust, or work with a team with, I need your help, and I want to be able to work with you. Tell me uh, what we can do. And honesty helps to del- honesty helps to create those trusting in relationships that are actually needed to actually work with a team. Because if your team doesn't trust you, it's just never going to work. Yeah, no, really, really interesting. And maybe that will come with experience. Because at first, I can imagine as you're just becoming a leader, you you will get excited and you go, no, I'm going to deliver this no matter what it takes. Yeah, yeah. You always then- want to strike out and like, I'm about to go and create like the best thing I can possibly do. And I'll be the best who has ever been in this place. And I'll, my name will be on the building soon. But yeah, I think you need to temper expectations. Yeah. And like any journey of learning requires the crawl before the walk. So, all right, brilliant. Um, and if you had your time again, then Brandon, what would you do differently? So if I had to restart everything and go all the way those years ago when I was starting to learn to be an engineer and then eventually become uh, somebody who had become a manager, I think what I needed was a bit more humility to ask for help and guidance. Uh, I went to uni, went there for seven years, really enjoyed it, did a lot of different coursework and subjects, did a thesis, and then went into the workforce and I was like, all right, I am armed with knowledge. I can apply this. And so I attempted to do a lot of things on my own and didn't have the concept of I should plan a career path, have the concept of I should spend time doing additional practice in areas I'm uncomfortable with. And so it prevented me from talking with my managers and mentors and team leads about what should I be working on? What can I do better? And what help can I get from other people on the team who are doing different work to me and have more experience so that I can work better and get more experience. Uh, so, yeah, definitely being able to feel that humility early on would have definitely helped because being able to ask for help now is something I try and encourage everybody to do and tell everybody that there is no embarrassment being able to ask for help because we're all working together. Any performance across the board is a group performance and a team delivery. So maybe so that, that then tells me to be a good leader you probably should start by asking for help with the team because then the rest of the team will they'll put the guard down and then they'll also be able to ask for help. So have you ever is that is that how you would look at certain situations to try and help the team become a bit more of a sort of helping culture? If that yeah. makes sense? Yeah. If you think about how when a like a scrum sprint ends, you do a retrospective and one of the big questions is how can we do things better? Uh, I think when you're doing one-on-ones with your team or meeting together, it's uh, asking them and trying to get their feedback of how could I do better for you? Because you're very much there to level everybody up and try and ensure that they are comfortable and have a good sense of belonging on their team so that they can perform without having to worry. And so when you're asking for them for help, you're not necessarily asking them for direct feedback of what should I be doing, but it's very much... uh, building those relationships so that you can actually see how can I go and advocate for somebody? How can I go ensure that people are working well together? And that sort of help is very much just understanding who the people are on the team. Uh, sometimes people call this resource management or talent management, and it all becomes very uh, impersonal when you start putting those sort of labels because they're people. 
and they're adults. And if you can treat them like that, then they tend to really respect you and tend to go above and beyond when they need to. Yeah, brilliant. Well, Brandon, thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Um, really interesting insights there. Uh, maybe if you want to just tell everyone a bit about sort of what you're doing now, what you're up to now. Um, yeah, that would be, be a good good way to finish the show. Sure. So I'll start off by mentioning about a year ago, I decided to take the step down to just be a um, principal engineer and just focus on the more individual contributor work so I could spend more time with my family. There's something very special I find looking after my children and actually watching them grow and learn. And I wanted to just have more time with them. Because uh, when you're doing management, and especially management across a big team, you're very much focused emotionally on the development of everyone there. And you tend to very much get out of your days feeling very tired, having spoken and tried to work through any problems that people may have, both in the workplace and anything that may be distracting them. But after my children grew up and then were able to actually go to school full time, um, or in this case, daycare full time, I've now stepped back into management and I'm very much trying to get the team uh back on track in terms of their ability to work together, uh, trying to get them collaborating a bit more. Uh, As much as work from home and being able to work remotely has given people a lot more time to focus on themselves and being able to structure their day, we have uh, lost a lot of collaboration energy. The ability for people to just sit with one another in a more casual basis and discuss various issues together doesn't tend to naturally flow as much from a more remote perspective. So trying to build up what would require us to collaborate better as well as perform a bit better has been my current focus. And I'm hoping to, over the course of the next couple of months, ensure that people are comfortable enough that we can actually make even coming back into the office something that's more valuable. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of companies sort of going through that transition now as well. Yeah. I don't want to make it something that's like a managerial edict. I don't want to have to go and say, right, we're now doing three days in because of reason. I think it would be far better if I can take uh, some of the benefits that our in-office environment can provide and actually make it such that the engineers would choose to come in. And so some of the things we're tending to do are a bit more uh, team-oriented workshops and very much uh, mobbing-style pair programming so that when we all come in, we can all work well together and discuss and actually become something that's enjoyable. Because if you're just coming in and getting the company provided lunch and doing work at a computer, well, you can potentially get that at home, but with family. So it doesn't feel valuable if you try and just enforce it. And you can work at your own pace at home as well. Yeah. We definitely have had uh, engineers who, once they started working from home, we definitely were like, well, let's try the full remote experiment and tell them you can work whatever times you want. And we definitely had people then working at like 11 to 1 o'clock in the morning. And you just lose on the ability to have contact points and the ability to ask questions from one another. And the turnaround time for getting questions answered then becomes an impediment. So people stop working together. So It's almost as if the whole team's in different countries. Yes, you have uh, almost a magnification of the time zone problem within the same time zone. (laughs) Which is crazy. Yeah, but that's what tends to happen when uh, everyone's forced to as the pandemic did, force us all into the remote setting with not a lot of preparation and a lot of change management behind it. So trying to reverse some of the negatives that have popped out requires a lot more care and thinking. Yeah, perfect. Brilliant. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Brandon. Really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure being here. Yeah, it's been good fun. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back again in in a couple of weeks. See you again for the next episode.
You've been listening to Decoding Careers with Sam Yates. This podcast is proudly brought to you with the support of recruitment agency, Discovered People. To find out more, go to discoveredpeople.com.au. Thank you.